Do you ever wonder how great leaders in the community make things happen? When they encounter new unexpected challenges like a pandemic, how do they continue to successfully make an impact? Welcome to That Sounds Terrific, the podcast that connects you with these amazing people. Get insights on what they do to meet their goals. Find out how you can help them in their mission and learn their methods so you can be more successful at what you do. Welcome to That Sounds Terrific with host Nick Koziel. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of That Sounds Terrific. I'm your host, Nick Colziel, and joining me today is Justin Pelletier. He's a professor and director of the Cyber Range and Training Center at RIT, amongst a host of other things, including being a civil servant for the U.S. Department of Defense um, and a bunch of other things we'll get into hopefully today. So thanks for being on the show, Justin. Thanks for having me. Of course, of course. And, you know, we go back to my RIT days and I loved connecting with you and, and you know, learning about so many different things that were going on um, in, in your realm, right? Um, the great thing about working in higher ed is that you're always being educated along the way, no matter what yeah. you're doing. So, um, but why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and, and, and you know, how you kind of got into the position that you're in at RIT? Sure. Um, so I've been at RIT since 2018. Uh, I joined RIT following a career in civil service uh, as my primary role, um, working down in the Beltway for, uh, for the intelligence community. And I'm still an Army reservist, uh, so I have one foot in that world, kind mm -hmm. of. Um, but my earliest sort of uh, path toward the current sort of role uh, really started with my undergrad education in computer science and my hobby, you know, computer programming. Uh, when I commissioned as an officer in the military, um, my, my first commanding officer made it very clear that I, I was uh, going to put my computing skills to work in a signals intelligence platoon. Uh, so I was a platoon leader for, for, that, uh, for that element. And um, that's really what started the whole cybersecurity career. Uh, and then moving through civil service, uh, focusing more on the same, more, more on uh, cybersecurity threat analysis and, and intelligence production. Um, but then life happens when we have these plans. So I, I expected to have a career in the Beltway, uh, raise the family down there. And uh, my mother got sick. She had Lou Gehrig's disease and uh, needed care. And so I actually had to resign my position with the federal government as a civilian and uh, care for her until she passed away. Uh, I still maintained my, my time, my, my uniform service uh, as a guardsman, as a reserve component soldier. And so sort of fell into that, finished the PhD, and then decided maybe it would be better not to move back to the Beltway and, and raise the family here in Rochester, where my wife is from, and we had some extended, some extended family support. Um, you know, and life changes your priorities as you, as you realize what's really important, and have that certainly had experience with my mother was one of those mm -hmm. moments. So, so we decided to stay here, and I'm, I'm very blessed to have a, have a great fit at RIT, uh, where I've been uh, really empowered to help uh, bring my lessons learned from the intelligence community on, on sort of what I think of as the pillars of our civilization and what needs protection in cyberspace and promulgate that as, as a priority set for the Institute and, and really through, through the work that I get to do uh, with students and, and faculty here in, in, in RIT. Yeah, well, I'm sorry to hear about your mom for, for one thing. And um, thank you for your service, of course. Um, it's very important that we support uh, our troops and, and the people that, you know, keep us safe. So I appreciate everything you do. Um, you know, having firsthand experience watching you interact with students at RIT, 
Um, I've always, I always admire people that are able to kind of bring the real world in and balance out the, the theoretical parts too, which I think you need to do in cybersecurity um, quite frequently. And, and you do it so well, um, uh, you know, just, <laughs> it was great to watch you kind of in action. And I appreciate you letting me come into, into the classroom um, on several occasions to kind of, to see that happen. Um, so like, can you talk a little bit about like what students are learning in the, in the training, um, in the cyber range and training center and like, you know, kind of take, take a layman's approach to, to what cybersecurity really is? Sure. Uh, so, so maybe I should start with the, there's really sort of three pillars that we, that we emphasize in the ESL Global Cybersecurity Institute. Uh, there's workforce development and training, which we run through the cyber range. Uh, there's the academic and research mission, which is really aligned with the core mission of the university itself uh, through the traditional academic department and our research arm within the, within the Global Cybersecurity Institute. And then there's outreach that helps us secure our nation and our community through a professional services testing lab that, that we have uh, within the Institute. And so the training mission that, that we do through the cyber range is really geared towards workforce development uh, in a way that helps make cyber pathways, cyber careers accessible to folks who maybe wouldn't consider a career in cybersecurity uh, to begin with. You know, we have a we have a tremendous resource in our academic or traditional academic model within RIT. We have a 500 student undergraduate department in, in computing security, which is really computational approaches towards security. And we have a lot of security oriented students from different departments like computer science, software engineering, and so on. We have 150 master students, roughly, and uh, nearly uh, 50 PhD students studying computational approaches to security. So our academic and research mission is really a, a strength that we've sought to build upon with this idea of individual, self-directed, zero-credit workforce development and training that we've started to launch uh, with the creation of this, this Global Cybersecurity Institute, now, now named the ESL, Global Cybersecurity Institute. And so the, the range is, is the primary vehicle for delivering that training. And so I mentioned this, you know, sort of that we have this on-ramp, this alternative pathway into a cyber career. That really wasn't part of our original design. I'd mentioned this with, you know, mm -hmm. kind of the brief anecdote personally with my motivation to switching into academia. It's, it's almost as if, I believe it is as if, uh, you know, the plans that we lay are, are there to guide us in the right direction, but they're not the plans that come to fruition because there's something better than we could have imagined. When we start making these plans, there's something better in store for us. Um, and, and I think that's really been the case for us with our training mission. So when we designed the cyber range, it was really for immersive in-person experiences with the really state-of-the-art, uh, compelling center in, in, inside the new building that creates the elements of drama and tension and delivers them in a holistic manner with compelling audio visuals, uh, sound and programmed lights, and just this, this interactive display that makes you feel like you're part of a ride, but that it's a living interactive environment. And of course, with all the technical depth that we have at the at a, you know, Premier Engineering, Engineering School. So, so that was really our vision for designing these trainings. And we, we've now, since COVID, we've, since things are starting to thaw, we've been able to deliver on that. So we do executive training. Uh, we have in the in the fall, we'll pilot a, a, a digital forensics and incident response training for technology uh, leaders to to advance their skills and you know giving the right data points to senior decision leaders um, when there is an incident. 
how to help navigate the organization. So that executive training that we provide um, is really helping those senior leaders to respond to the existential threat that a, that a breach might pose to their organization. Uh, and they can be career-defining moments, breaches. And so we want to create a positive outcome because uh, they're almost inevitable. You know, cyber, cyber attack is, is pretty commonplace now. And so we have some evidence from, from research that um, the public will tend to trust more a competent, transparent, and poised response than a bungled one. Makes sense. Mm -hmm. uh, but especially with the ubiquity of a cyber attack, it's like, oh, you too. Okay, well, what did you do? How did you respond? Did you do well or did you not? And mm -hmm. so um, that's really what that in-person training is designed. All that's to say, you know, we had this plan from the beginning and of course things changed with COVID. So when we, when we found ourselves, you know, working on this building and, and saying, okay, well, things are on pause. We don't know when we're going to be back in person. And, oh, it looks like 30 million people across our country have just been laid off. Entire industries, the whole rug got pulled under out from under them. And, and just, there's a lot of uncertainty. And meanwhile, there's a lot of folks that needed to make ends meet, mortgages to pay, kids to feed, lives to support, right? And, and, so, and so we said, well, you know, there's been this persistent demand that we've been unable to fill with the traditional academic model, one, two, maybe three million unfilled cyber jobs. At any given moment, you can look and they're, they're everywhere, right? And they're just like this persistent demand. And so, so I thought, okay, well, we have 30 million unemployed people. A lot of them are really smart and hardworking folks that maybe could consider a cyber career, but they never had the chance. They've been out in the workforce for a while, or they didn't go to the right high schools and get the best grades in their STEM classes and consider a school like RIT. But, but now what? You know, they've always been interested. What can we do to help them? So we created this uh, boot camp, a, a career launch pad, really, to help people in that circumstance of a career transition um, move into a cyber path. And, and the more that we've delivered on this, the more we've realized how life-changing this can be for folks from all different types of backgrounds. And so, of course, again, we have this really strong academic foundation that we are able to draw lessons from, you know, ex explore ex available curriculum and adapt it for adult learners, and also really dive into some of the learning delivery methods that are uniquely suited to an adult learner who's been out of school for 10, 15 years. It's gotta be different. It's gotta feel different. So we, cr we created an immersion, a simulation, uh, where these um, career transitioning uh, learners will come into a role-playing internship mm -hmm. uh, at a fictitious company that we created doing the jobs. They start off at a, an IT help desk and then they progress into increasing uh, security responsibilities and get a sense of what it's actually like to do the job all in a safe place to fail, right? So there's a simulation. If you make a mistake, if you give some bad advice, we'll, we'll catch it, we'll correct you, you know, but all done in a professional way so that, you know, there's role-playing colleagues that are sort of senior to you that will provide correction. There's role-playing supervisors and so on. Uh, and the instructional team really does a great job at forging that immersion so that you can still learn by doing, which is very common theme for adult learners. And, and a lot of it is self-directed so they can have a foundation that they continue to build upon as they progress in their career. So I just gushed a whole lot, Nick. Yeah. And I, I no, that's all I good information. I love talking about this stuff. So you got to, you know, interrupt me if I'm No, good. no, this is good. You know, one thing it kind of uh, it chimed in, I wanted to chime in on, and, and I'll just kind of take you back a little bit was during, you know, during COVID, I was one of those job searchers, right? Mm. And I connected with uh, these two gentlemen who were doing, um, you know, Steve Wozniak has a company that he kind of started, um, aside from Apple, Wazed and Wazu, and I'm not sure mm. if you've heard of them at all. 
Um, but basically the idea and premise behind that is like doing, um, you know, coding and cybersecurity and all those types of things from like, you know, pretty much from grade school through high school and then like leading into college kind of a thing. And their yeah. model is sort of around trying to take um, businesses uh, that want to train their cyber um, security and their tech people uh, the way that their business functions. And what I like, what I'm hearing about RIT's model is it is an immersion. There is like, you know, these steps that you're taking to, to, to give the real life scenario and you probably can change it to like, say, you know, I'm just throwing out IBM. Maybe IBM runs things a certain way. You could simulate that kind of environment, right? Am I understanding that right? Yeah, to, to some degree. I mean, there, there's a switching cost, right? From the from the problems that we present, there's a lot of help desk tickets and email exchanges that we have built into our systems, but we certainly can adapt it to be um, more bespoke to the individual company that wants to use this as a career development pathway yeah. or, or pipeline within within their organization. Um, you know, one thing that really struck me in 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 that really uh, happy accident of of mm -hmm. opportunity, um, you know, and having this fully virtual, fully online program, uh, we've been able to reach a lot of folks that would not consider coming to Rochester or couldn't right. afford a traditional four year degree. Uh, we've got nearly eighty percent diverse enrollees. About it's actually seventy eight percent. And, and more than 80% of those achieve their goal within 12 months of graduation. We've, we're now on our eighth cohort of learners. Mm -hmm. And starting in our fourth cohort, we taught an entirely deaf group of learners, all in ASL, mm -hmm. which, as you know, Nick, the, yeah. the, one of the, this is part of our fabric of RIT, um, how we have the National Technical Institute of the Deaf and that access mm -hmm. technology piece uh, is really so endemic to our mission. And it, I get chills just thinking about it knowing what you know, my, my family members have gone through and, and need to continually get access technology support, um, it, it just makes a, a whole bunch of difference for the individual person. And it really speaks, I think, to our commitment to recognizing the, di the dignity of the, of the human person that we, mm -hmm. that we uh, take that emphasis. So I'm really proud that we were able to do that. And now we have fully blended cohorts, um, deaf and hearing. Mm -hmm. And that has actually evolved even even further and just um actually on monday we'll be we'll be uh, offering an apprenticeship program for our boot camp grads and that really is a kind of an interesting story if you don't mind i'll, I'll share yeah please share totally thanks um so so we had you know great outcomes from our hearing grads from golf pros nurses sanitation engineers a secretary, I mean, this whole bunch of different range of th that were able to get great cyber jobs, right? And so when it came to the 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 deaf grads and, and the folks that are hard of hearing, getting jobs, we, there's a significant difference that we observed just, just empirically. We observed a difference in the, the timeliness of, of their, you know, their landing a job, their ability to do that at all. And we so we're starting to ask the question, well, what's going on here? And of course, our colleagues at NTID said this is no surprise to us. There's actually a demonstrated, you know, evidence of this is systemic, and there's a barrier to a barrier to communicating with the future employer that mm -hmm. can create a trust barrier. Employers don't aren't you know it's hard. Deaf folks have a hard time convincing future employers that they can do the job yeah. because of this communication barrier, which makes a lot of sense. You know, as yeah. soon as you explain, there's it, a little oh, bit of fear, right? You know, in yeah. I, I think so. And I think maybe, maybe, maybe fear, but maybe just misunderstanding, you know, yeah. there's, there's a communicate, there's a translation issue mm -hmm. and, and especially getting really technical, having an interpreter present for an interview, if they don't know the protocols, 
they might mix, mix up an acronym or make the person seem a little less knowledgeable than they are because there's just this, you know, this, this translation error that's natural. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so in thinking about this, I, I hypothesize that other categories of diversity may have similar barriers. If you mm -hmm. don't have the same background as me, if you don't look like me, if you don't talk like me, uh, how do I know you can do the job? And you know, I, I trust that I can do the job and I have this background. If you don't have the same background, I don't know, I, is it worth taking a risk on something so important as cybersecurity? And so I'm just imagining that's kind of maybe a subconscious pretext in, yeah. in the minds of the employers, right? And so what to do about it? Mm -hmm. So so we um, we went through a few, a few planning process. We got to do something, right? Obviously, we can't just take it and, and not make the world a little better if we, if we have a chance. So so we uh, we designed this apprenticeship program for our bootcamp grads to come in and build a portfolio of actual real world experiences. So then when they go to the employer, when they're finished with their apprenticeship, they don't really have to say much other than I've done this, this, and this, and I can do it for you. Right. And then their work speaks for itself, right? So, so we're, again, just on, on Monday, actually, we're starting with our first cohort of six apprentices, 100% uh, from different categories of diversity. Um, um, and and I'm, I'm really excited for what they'll be able to do. I mentioned this kind of at the outset, we have this professional services securing our community mission as part of our not-for-profit outreach uh, within, the, within the, the Institute. And so we do security services, um, pen testing, uh, penetration testing, where we examine vulnerabilities, we exploit them and give reports as good guys trying to help the organization get better, right? Before the bad sure. guys can find it. So we do that through this lab and um, there's some great opportunity for apprentices to get hands-on experience doing scanning, looking for vulnerabilities, interpreting reports from automated systems and, and building out this portfolio and also adding value to our client, to our clientele. Mm -hmm. so, so that's just starting and, and I'm really excited because the grant actually funds for the apprentices work and we're able to cost share through, from RIT. They've been pretty um, quite supportive actually in mm -hmm. allowing us to do this. Uh, where we've got you know supervision and staff support project management support and now we're able to give some pro bono assessments even to critical infrastructure companies um i highlighted it in in i kind of mentioned this when i came from the intel community i was beating the drum energy healthcare and yeah. finance and i think you've heard me say this yeah before. energy yeah. healthcare and finance those are the long poles in the tent right right and and most recently i just added voting to that list because of what happened yes. in the last elections yes existential threat to our country, you know, but, mm -hmm. but um, those, those areas of cybersecurity in particular, we need to get right, we, we have a zero fault tolerance. So, so um, having that ability to offer pro bono services, primarily looking at energy, though some healthcare opportunity um, to help, you know, RGE, let's say, or mm -hmm. Fairport Electric or different, different companies that maybe don't have a robust security program, get better. We do a lot of work with security, I'm sorry, energy manufacturing companies as well. So we have a real core competence that we're able to build on with this. Again, I'm, I keep gushing. Yeah. But no, I'm, this is great. So this is all very valuable information. And you know, when I said, when I said fear before, um, I bring that up because like, uh, on the side, I do have a career support group where I have people searching for jobs. And a lot of times you get those, um, you know, those businesses that are looking for the, the outside of the box kind of candidate, but then they end yeah. up hiring what they know. You got it. Nine times yeah. out of 10. So where I, what I meant by fear was I think that they're afraid of something different. So they like, well, let's go mm -hmm. like what you were saying before, like, let's go uh, back to something we know, right? Yeah. Um, so trying to give someone that's hard of hearing or deaf a chance, even, even though they might even be more brilliant than any other candidate, 
um, you know, it can be tough. But one of the things that um, I think is great about a, a lot of schools and in particular RIT um, is the, the ability to innovate um, and to change on the fly and to realize, hey, this isn't exactly the direction we wanted to go initially, we were planning to go, but it's the right direction, right? So yeah. being able to pivot and, and do that is, is always amazing. Um, and then again, like I love the idea of apprenticeships. It's funny how education and, and most things in life are slick, you know, very cyclical. Like we used to start like years and years ago, you, you had apprenticeships and then we went away from that completely, you know, um, maybe having internships or like RIT has a lot of co-op situations. Yes. Um, but that real life experience is super important. So like, it's nice to have a balanced blended approach and to have a portfolio of work to share with a potential employer and say, look, this is what I've done and exactly what you said. And this is what I'm going, you know, be able to do for you. Yeah. So I think that, you know, you and the center do a lot of great things for, uh, yeah. and now for, for even more people than just, you know, your normal tech, you know, savvy student. So. Yeah, absolutely. I, it's been just so amazing and rewarding personally to see and hear about the these sort of life-changing opportunities that weren't really available in in other ways. And there's a lot of great other programs out there that will help people, you know, transition into cybersecurity and get that first paid position. But the way we do it, I'd like to think is 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 really good for somebody who's um, contemplating a career change doesn't have a lot of time to, to, to mess around, you know, right. and, and uh, really wants to get, to get as many skills as they can uh, established and to build upon, um, you know, that appeal to a broader population, we, we did this deliberately. And if we build it in, in a way that it's accessible to the deaf population, and there's a lot of comorbidity with deafness and colorblindness or even mm -hmm. blindness outright. Yeah. So, so looking at visual impairment and how, how do we design our learning resources so that it would be optimal for, for folks with different abilities, uh, people on on the on the autism or Asperger's spectrum, right? Uh, right. That with the neurodiversity component, and the, and the more I thought about that, and the more I looked at the way we're going after cybersecurity problem solving, it really occurs to me that hackers are by definition out of the box thinkers. Yeah. By definition, right? Yeah. And and we know from from decades of research that teams with high cognitive diversity outperform other teams in complex and creative tasks. Yeah. And so cybersecurity to me is like, we need more folks who think differently to enter the field to actually address these inherently creative attackers and outsmart them. So in, in you know, it, it's not, we know it's the right thing to do, right? But it's also in this case, really a smart thing to do. Yeah. So, so I'm really excited about, about the ability to, to help folks that wouldn't you know, normally consider a path towards cyber there's still a recruitment bias and, and, you know, everybody wants to see, not everybody, but a lot yeah. of companies want to see, you know, you've got the four-year degree plus the master's degree and five years of experience, and then you're ready for an entry-level cyber job. It's like, right. okay, well, there's a misconception there, right? And talking to employers as we design this program and even the people who have hired our bootcamp grads, like, we just need people who can do the job. I don't care if they yeah. even have a high school diploma. I just want somebody who can do the job. And there's a lot of the great examples of, of folks who are really real, well regarded in the community, self-taught, expert level, national leader level, uh, computer security professionals that, that don't have advanced degrees and, and have a GED or something and, and yeah. just taught themselves how to get it done. Um, yeah, you know, it, it's funny, like in my head, when you were just saying that, I'm like, you know what a really approach, uh, 
a unique approach would be to a job interview is to actually, while you're interviewing, break into their system. <laughs> well, that's illegal. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, you didn't get the job and you're going to jail, but you're I was right, just right, thinking, right. you know, like, oh, I'm not good enough. Huh? Well, I'm actually in your system right now. <laughs> yeah, actually, that's been a, so there's been some not widely talked about precedent of that sort of thing happening early, yeah. early, early you know, like in, in the 80s and 90s. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Though, you know, that's a way, that's a way to get a job offer slash <laughs> to get noticed or uh, you're going to come. So this is especially if you, if you do this to the government, right? Right. Well, you're going to go to jail for the rest of your life or you're going to come work for us. Right. Or maybe right. Both. right. Or maybe both. So you got to be careful. <laughs> kind of if that ca catch me if I can kind of mentality, right? Right. Yeah. 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 So, you know, there's definitely some risks there, but, but um, we've, we've seen, you know, what, what really was the wild west mature in, right. in a lot of ways over the past couple of decades decades on what's allowed and what and and not just from a regulatory standpoint but also from an ethical standpoint you know we we present this to our learners in the you know traditional academia and also in in, in the in sort of non-traditional workforce training programs there's a lot of ethical dilemmas that somebody who's empowered to conduct this type of intrusive behavior on a computer you know there's a quandary there my right. best friend needs a life-saving surgery and I happen to have the keys that can help unlock this somehow, but it's, you know, it's technically it's illegal for me to do this, but I could save a life. And, you know, sure. those decision points, you know, without a, without a, a, an ethical framework, without some, um, some epistemological kind of or, orientation or anchor, um, it can, it can be really a, a, a dangerous allure, allurement right. for, for somebody to sort of have a compromise morally and then, and then to wind up in prison or hating themselves because they did something that they just know isn't right. Right. on retrospect so so we try to introduce those things uh, and now i'm getting off on a tangent here no i mean you bring up a good, i bring up a good point and something that i've heard arguments about in the past um you know where in order to um teach students how to defend you have to be able to uh, learn how people attack right so uh, you know and i know that you guys have um content like some contests right that you do mm -hmm. where yeah. um you know you're Dip teams and actually it's now kind of like a almost like an esport, right? Well, I think we're we, we have some elements of 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 um, production or competition quality. at least. Yeah. So so actually, um, the technical director for the Cyber Range, Chad Whedon, he's actually the director of esports for the university, mm -hmm. and so um, he's deeply enmeshed in the esport community and he runs the the different teams. And actually, we have a bunch of national championship teams within RIT um, is actually the winningest university program at all ever, uh, ever in history yeah. for, for esports. Um, and so we've, we've had a lot of conversations about, well, how can we take our cybersecurity competitions and make them more in line with what an esport, you know, spectator friendly, massive crowd kind of thing um, could be. And, and we've made some progress there, but there's still a lot of work. Sure. I will say though, that you're, you're absolutely right in, in, in our um, ability to drive that competitive spirit in a in a healthy way, um, we founded. I say we. Bill Stackpole, a professor in in the institute, um, he founded uh, with uh, with several others from the department, um, Bo Yuan, Daryl Johnson, and and some generous sponsorship from IBM and and a few other folks, um, a collegiate penetration testing competition. So that exactly that you know the, yeah. the ethical hacker kind of red teaming competition. Here's a here's a simulated network. Go in surgically and find what the vulnerabilities are, give us a good report, give us a briefing, tell us what you think is wrong. 
and that's really evolved over the over the since 2015 when when Bill and, and Bob Kalka from IBM were kind of thinking about hey we should do something like this you know in Bill's office and now it's you know this global phenomenon we have uh, approximately 70 schools from across the planet that compete at nine different regions and uh, and then they come to RIT for the for the global finals each year this this year uh, we're in, in in January we'll be hosting that uh, and every year it gives us a chance to present the student competitors with uh, different critical infrastructure scenarios. Mm -hmm. So last year we had uh, we had a food manufacturing company. Year before that was an energy production and distribution company with a nuclear power plant, a dam, and a water treatment facility, all integrated with a centralized reservoir. Really interesting technical yes yeah. problems and scenarios, but also a really amazing learning outcome for the for the students who who train for and compete. We announced what the theme is early enough for them to get familiar with the technologies. Not many students would really look at industrial control, control systems for the energy grid in their undergraduate, but right. hearing that that's the theme, they're gonna they're gonna study on it, right? Yeah. And then of course we present these realistic scenarios of if you go too aggressive and just scanning uh, um, the control systems for a dam, you could make the dam fail and cause flooding or or massive rapid draining that yeah. could really threaten people's lives. And yeah. so they get to learn that in a safe way. And and really say, okay, well, if I ever come across this again, I know not to do you know, <laughs> map pack a aggressive scan, you know. And so, so these learning outcomes are just fantastic. And of course, it gives us a lot of really interesting data that we can use for research purposes to understand, you know, what are attackers thinking about? What might they do? Uh, how do we evaluate skill? Mm -hmm. And and it gives um, also a non-technical component for the students who who maybe would be, you know, really just potentially prone to say, hey, I put it in the report, did you read my report? Then as at the finals, we give them a role-playing board of directors for this fictitious company we create. And it's all senior executives from industry right. and, and senior researchers from, from academia who are used to working with board of, boards of directors and understand how executives need to under, you know, digest and, and interpret. Um, super smart folks at the, at the board level, but a lot of them are not cyber experts. And so you can't lose them in this sea of acronyms and technical jargon right but you have to very clearly communicate the risk to the enterprise right and so the the teams that that have you know done really well in that component are are speaking that common lexicon that yeah. every executive understands the the risk management lexicon and addressing cyber as it as it conforms to that in a way that motivates the investment and the remediation that they recommend uh, without just leaving a ton of questions what were they talking about you know which is a real risk yeah. So there's this interesting component to that that I think also helps advance the field um, through this competition. No, I, I think that's very important because how often, you know, are you going to encounter somebody that doesn't, that maybe is leading a company and that doesn't quite understand all the technology that yeah. is in the infrastructure, you know, um, and being able to adequately explain that to the people that are making the app, the, you know, the decisions is important because if you screw that up, you, you could, you know, you know, jeopardize the company even more. Yeah, and there's a risk too if right. if you if you over categorize the risk impact, which is really a problem in cyber. Sure. Right. It's like we got the chicken little complex sometimes. Like the sky is falling. You know, if you don't yeah. secure this thing right now, the whole. Are, yeah. And it's not always the case, you know. And so it really forces out. It teases out that differentiation between something that's maybe a potentially critical impact on an individual device without a business impact, um, yeah. from something that's more systemic. And even if it's a very minor flaw if it affects the entire customer database or your billing or your web accessibility for, for an online sort of hosted right. 
business personal information yeah yeah there's there's these potential threats that that become a big deal right sure so do you guys get any pushback um regarding like you know the 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 teaching of the penetration part like do you not anymore not anymore because i knew that was an issue a while back it was yeah and i wasn't around in in you know at rit for for the foundation of the computing security department but my um you know since i've been able to to talk with a lot of alumni and, and some of the faculty that were around to help found the department. Sure. And if I, I, from what I understand, you know, about 20 something years ago in the, in the, um, in the field house, you know, they sponsored their first sort of internal hackathon type, you know, capture the flag yeah. to break into the system if you can. And, and it went all the way up to the president's office to get approval because it's like, what are you doing? You're teaching people how to hack. And, and it, it wasn't well understood, but you know, RIT yeah. good for the university took a risk and said, all right, well, as long as we're teaching them when it's appropriate and how to do it ethically and, and in a way that actually benefits the organization instead of just causing harm, then let's go for it. And that, and that really was the seed that grew into its own department out of the previous um, components that made up the different elements of security. Yeah, no, that, well, it's good to know that that's sort of a thing of the past, um, as far as the, the I mean, it's still a concern, of, of course, yeah. you know, we always wonder if, if there's a, you know, if there's a Tom Riddle in the mix, you know, that's sure. going to use their superpowers for, for, for bad, but, for bad. Yeah. Yeah. But, but we, you know, we, we've got to trust and, and, and verify with, um, with our, with our students and our trainees that, you know, inspire them to choose the right thing and, and trust that they're going to do that. Yeah. I mean, the layman's term like, or the layman in me is thinking, you know, well, if someone can break in and then close someone else out, you need to know how to be able to break back in and, and take back over kind of a thing, right? It, sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there's, so. There, so there's really, um, there's a really strong benefit. I'm more of an offensive minded security uh, professional. You know, there's, there's, uh, there's absolutely the, con you know, some folks don't really tend towards the if I can break in, I can, you know, that kind of mentality. Sure. They'd rather just lock everything down and, 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 and just focus on the defensive side from the outset mm -hmm. without really attempting to think like the attacker too much. And, and there's a real strong community that, that does a great job with that. Uh, and so we have, you know, some evolution of our curriculum that really um, helps on both sides of that. So you have the advanced kind of um, what we call red teaming or offensive minded security professional. And then we have really advanced blue teaming or defensive-minded security professional um, represented by, by um, some training, some, some education that we do relating to threat hunting. So mm -hmm. assuming that there's a threat there, what kind of indicators might we, might we see in the systems and then just going to look for them together, you know, human eyes along with AI and ML tools to look at behavioral anomalies, heuristics, and so on in the, in the data sets to identify, oh, there's something weird going on here. Let's dig into that. And, and catch the bad guy at, at work. So there's really kind of two sides of that, but you know, trying to outsmart the attacker is really a difficult, a difficult endeavor that, you know, we've come a long way in, but we still have some work. There's yeah. no doubt. Yeah. So um, you've talked a lot about how you're, you're, you know, you're helping the world by putting out, uh, first of all, producing students that are becoming really great uh, professionals. Um, but there's some other things that you sort of touched on, like the penetration testing and stuff. How how else can you help companies in the area um, with their cybersecurity? Um, you know, and, and what other things can you do for you know um, for companies and their CEOs? Sure. Um, so I guess I'll start with the with the security testing that we do, and then I'll I'll 
maybe circle back to some of the training that we're that we recently launched and will continue to to, to um, make available to the community. Sure. So so we're we're lucky in that we have um, in in the institute the Eaton Cybersecurity Safe Lab. Mm -hmm. uh, the namesake Eaton Corporation is one of the, if not the biggest, uh, manufacturers of energy grid components, and they were actually the theme sponsor for that that competition environment that I mentioned that, um, a few minutes ago. In any case, the Eaton Corporation sponsors the lab and, and is actually um, one of our uh, largest clients in the lab too. And they fully integrated our testing services into their product security lifecycle. So um, we do device testing for them and help give them security reports that they can use to, to remediate any vulnerabilities that we find and improve, you know, harden their, their, um, their systems. We also do policy audit and development so for example, let's say there's a, a local company who, who knows that they need to be compliant with a, a regulatory regime like a, the payment card industry data security standard, the PCI DSS. Sure. Yep. Say, okay, well, I know we've got to do this. Um, how do we get better at that? There's also a Gramm-Leach-Bliley Act, there's HIPAA, there's COBIT, there's NIST standards. There's a ton of standards out there, right? So making sense of them and, and helping to evolve those, those components, we can, we can help with that. Uh, we also do uh, social hardening. Uh, it's pretty common that you know folks recognize that social engineering, that phishing emails, mm -hmm. uh, is probably the most persistent and difficult um, uh, vulnerability to 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 shore up. And so we have um, social engineering uh, pen tests that we can do to help, and some training that follow on training that help um, get the organization better at um, not clicking links, understanding the impacts, and and some of the some of the kind of interesting horizon areas of of social engineering. Of course, we do vulnerability analysis as well, which is a um, some discovery of the corporate environment. We can do that for either devices or networks or both. Mm -hmm. um, we've done that for for local school districts. We've done that for I mentioned Eaton Corporation, um, and then we can take those vulnerability analyses and and um, follow on, follow those with the full on penetration testing, uh, which is really exploiting those vulnerabilities in a systematic way so that we understand all the potential ways that a hacker might break in instead of just a conceptual right. look with the vulnerability analysis provides oh this could be a problem this could be a problem we say no this is actually a problem we validated that it is and here's what you can do to fix it mm -hmm. so then um so that's another sort of set of services and then uh, finally uh, security engineering so instead of waiting for the system to be deployed or the device to be manufactured we can get engaged early give some ad advice on what to do to make it better during the design phases um, and, and help actually avoid costs uh, in the build lower. Um, yeah. as a more proactive approach. And there's a, there's a whole sort of discipline in, in sec DevOps and, and um, you know, different development methodologies that, that employ security during the process that we can help advise and educate on. So that's just a few examples yeah. of, of the types of work that we do in that, in that lab sure. um, that the apprentices are, are working in now, or will at least in. <laughs> Um, um, I had a quick follow-up question to that. Yeah. So like, you know, so they get their report of all the vulnerabilities, right? So like, do you follow up with them afterwards to see if they've like, you know, kind of done some things to um, avoid, uh, you know, or improve those things? Do you know what I'm saying? We, we do, but it's in um, sort of a repeat engagement kind of approach. So we don't put our hands on their networks as a as a def, as a defender. Like that's their IT sure. team. We help their IT team understand what we're talking about, but we don't. We do, we're not a security services provider in mm -hmm. that. We, you know, we're not going to maintain the security for the organization. Sure. There's a lot of great companies that do that locally, 
we've just made the decision that's not that's not our forte. We're not going okay. to go down that road. Um, but, but what we do, we'll have a either a biannual, a quarterly, or even a, a, a annual engagement where we actually do another test. Okay, so we yeah. can say, hey, we gave you this report. We told you all these things were busted. We gave you a prioritized what we thought of a prioritized list of things to fix. We gave you some referrals of great companies that can help you get them fixed if you don't know how to do it in-house. We will even advise you, you know, what do we mean when we say kind of thing. Right. And then we go hands off for a little while. Well, let's come back six months later or a year later and do another test and see, hey, you fixed most of these things, but these three new things are busted because, you know, you brought into some new system. I say busted, whatever. Yeah, Could I know better, what you mean. Right. Yeah. And so the point is, I, I should also emphasize, when we do these tests, right, a great day for us is a really bad day for the company. Yeah. And so, so we, you know, we get all motivated with glee to say, oh, we found our way in, right? And right. So, so we got to moderate that. Sure. Because, because we're not there to play a gotcha game on the company and make them look bad. We're really yeah. not. We're there to say, okay, where are you and how do you get to the next step in your security posture? And so we really have a collaborative approach where we're not making the technology folks look bad. I mean, it's just really not in our best interest to do that. Yes, yeah. We want to make them look good by saying, hey, you know, the worst thing you can do is stick your head in the sand and pretend like there's no problems. The best right. thing you can do is acknowledge that there's always going to be some kind of vulnerabilities. What's the next best step for us, for us to take to get better? And so that's right. what we're here to advise on. Let's, let's look at what you've got and give you some advice on the next best steps you can take. And then we'll come back in a year and say, well, what's next for you then? As opposed to saying, oh, this is the worst thing in the world. You know, right. we don't. We don't do that. Well, well, and it's good because you're also teaching the students again, like how to uh, relay that information in a, in a professional way that isn't yeah. giving, you know, you know, getting people hurt feelings, um, but is, you know, getting the critical information uh, across, right? Yeah. So, cool. Yeah. And, and also, you know, just on that thread, it also really helps us stay current too. Oh, I mean, yeah. there's a risk, right? I've only been at RIT for, for what, four and a half years now, mm -hmm. but I've already, you know, I haven't had I haven't had the same professional experiences that I had outside of academia since I've been in. And this is yeah. one way that I'm able to stay current. And, you know, my colleagues and, and, and the staff and the faculty that, that advise these teams to do these tests, we're, we're able to, you know, make sure that our curriculum is, is fresh and current. Uh, and also it gives us some great stories to tell when we're trying to hammer a point home. It's not right. just talking out of school, kind of theoretical. We, we, I just did this test a few months ago and here's what we found and would you believe? And this is what we, you know, this is what you would want to know about to prevent that, or, or here's what you might want to look at. And it's sometimes it's things that people wouldn't even think about, you know, yeah. integration between facilities management and the IT team for one is a great example. Sure. Um, and I can talk about that, you know, in, in class, because we saw that in a pen test, there was a, you know, poor integration, less some vulnerabilities, but facilities controlled this one system and access control system and IT didn't have, but it, you know, it was a web accessible interface and there was a problem there and a real yeah. actual potential physical security problem involved right. from it. So anyway, I could gush about that one too, but I'll, I guess maybe we move on. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I guess we're, we're kind of at the part of the show where I'm going to ask you like, you know, is there anything that you do want to mention that I haven't even asked about, um, you know, that you want to share or, you know, a service that you have or even something that you need from, from local companies as far as support. So yeah, I told you this is the stumper. <laughs> yeah, this is the stumper. I mean, we covered a lot of ground. Yeah. I guess, I, let me let me just sort of take a second. Um, there's a lot of opportunities for, for local organizations to get involved in the Global Cybersecurity Institute. There's all kinds of um, 
you know, everything from, you know, engaging with the security services, there's naming opportunities, there's mm -hmm. sponsor sponsorships for the competitions. Um, there's opportunity to do training with, with, uh, with the cyber range. I mentioned briefly the executive training that we do that sort of incident response preparation to help, help folks sweat a little bit as a, <laughs> as a senior leadership, the president, the CEO, their C-suite come in yeah. and get, get hit with a cyber breach experience and say, wow, that was not quite what I was expecting, but I'm glad we went through it. This way we're gonna be better if it ever happens to us, when it happens to us in real life. So those are all real good opportunities. And, and I think we've kind of touched on a, a lot of those in, at least in passing. You know, one thing that I, what, I, what I'd really like to emphasize though, and you know, cyber seems to be this dark and mysterious, unsolvable, wicked problem. Mm -hmm. And it really doesn't have to be. And so, you know, if anything, I'd like to inspire a little hope uh, uh, for, for your listeners. This isn't something that we can't do anything about. We don't have to take this lying down. We can actually do something about it. And, you know, we can look at international events and say, oh, well, what's Russia doing in Ukraine? And what's, what's this country doing in that company? Or what's this country doing in that country, right? And, and kind of say, well, this, this um, it just seems so above my head or beyond my control. And maybe some of it is. But there's a lot of little things that we can do as well. And just practicing good cyber hygiene, being aware of what's, what's happening, uh, being good stewards of, of the resources, of the data that we're entrusted as, as organizations is a really great way to do that. And, and you don't have to be, you know, you don't have to have a, a, a PhD in cybersecurity masters or even a bachelor's mm -hmm. degree in, in, in IT to, to, to make some good decisions that in, impact the security of your organization. Um, and, and so, you know, I think there is hope right it's like yeah. a core message yeah and, and and beyond that i think cyber is it, it it's a difficult thing to define in in some ways you know we can think of it as being all the information systems that we use and and you know the potential exists for us to to consider that the human brain is an information system isn't it right and it's the humans on either end of the computer the keyboard uh, or whatever the interface is that make the decisions that inform what happens with the information we're trying to use to make decisions. And so, so I think there's some very human components that could be really attractive for folks who are saying, well, you know, I'm not really a technology oriented type of person, but I am interested in doing something about this. Well, there's, there's room for you in, 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 on the team, right? If yeah. that's sort of the orientation, because again, it's, it's about people, processes, and technologies. It's not just about technology. Uh, and we can't fix it with just the same old approach. That's the yeah. definition of insanity, right? So we right. really need to, to get folks motivated and say, I can do something about this, and I'm going to do this and that to, to make it better. Yeah, and I mean, in the show notes, there's going to be contact information for you, Justin. And Great. I urge our listeners to reach out to you if they have questions either about joining um, you, know, you as a student or um, questions about how they can, you know, interact with um, the cybersecurity training center on range um, with their company. So that like, get out there and ask the question, right? The, you got to learn from, um, you can learn about what you need if you connect with Justin. So I uh, appreciate you ha having you on the show. You've been a terrific guest and um, thank Thanks you so much.
Thank you for joining us on another episode of That Sounds Terrific. Don't forget to check out the show notes and our website at thatsoundsterrific.com to find the contact information and the best ways to volunteer with the organizations that we feature. If you know someone that is doing terrific things and think they should be featured in a future episode, be sure to email us their name, contact info, and short description of what they're doing at thatsoundsterrific at gmail.com. If you like our show, give us a five-star rating and give us some social media love by liking our Facebook page, That Sounds Terrific. Follow us on Twitter at Sounds Terrific 2 and Instagram at Sounds Terrific. We love hearing your feedback on how to make our show sound even more terrific. Till next time.